This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast, episode 218. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Lam Ramayasha. And today, are we going to be seeing red about this new jump stop that we're covering? Well, we're covering Red Sprite by Tomohiro Yagi. It's a series that we talked about like way back when the first year when the Bollywood first started, when it debuted <laughs> in that round with Promise Neverland and Rub Lush. Finally, we're going to be doing a retrospective on it with Maxi and Doctor from the Ask Backwards Enemy podcast and just to continue on podcast our good friend and yeah there's going to be some differences of opinions it's going to be a very electrifying discussion we've got a lot of uh very steely opinions on this series people have some uh, hearts of iron when it comes to this it's going to be quite ironic some parts of this discussion yeah, no, this was this was a great discussion. I really, really love doing these discussions on Jump Stops, otherwise known as a cancel Shonen Jump series. And again, not to play my hand too early, but even if I wasn't that into this one as much as I thought I was back in the day, again, we still had a really great discussion. I love it anytime we can have Doctor on, and I just can't wait for you guys to listen to it. And, you know, I, I don't we, like we don't have anything else to talk about at the top of the show, so I think we might as well just get into it. Yep, let's head on to our airship and soar the sea of the skies and search for the land where we can record this podcast on. All right, it's time it's time for an adventure on the SS Manga Mavericks. Yeah, just let's make sure we avoid getting a shot out of the air. Much like Red Sprite did. Uh, all right, you fucking steampunk freaks, get ready, because we're going to be talking about the latest Jump Stop manga that we have to talk about in our series of Cancel Show to Jump manga podcast with Tomohiro Yagi's Red Sprite. Despite how I feel about the comic, I'm very excited to talk about this. And uh, you know what? What better way to start off this podcast than to drink some Sprite? Did you dye it with red food dye to make it red Sprite? Or did you like infuse it with like cherry water? Do they, they must make a red version of Sprite that would commemorate this occasion. You know, I I feel like they would have. I didn't really get a chance to look it up, honestly. Oh, yeah, there's Sprite Cranberry, but it looks like it's clear. Hmm. Oh, there's like a red Sierra Mist, though. Oh, that's interesting. Red Cranberry Sierra Mist. You could just transport it into the Cranberry Sprite bottle and pretend. I went to the store last night after work, and uh, I wanted to get a Sprite for today. And then I saw that they had Sprite Limonade, which... When I bought it, I, I thought it said lemonade, so I was like, ooh, some Sprite lemonade. That sounds pretty good. And now I'm going to try it for the first time. And um, actually, that's not too bad. Well, mm, no, it's not bad, but I have to say, it's not a whole lot. No, well, I'm going to have to taste this like a couple times. I'm sorry. This is probably really interesting audio. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's fine. There's like some lime in there, some lemonade. It's 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 very. It's not like a whole lot in there. It just kind of tastes like Sprite. Not like a whole lot of difference. Sprite is lemon and lime. So what what does this contribute to the equation? Is it just more lime? Yeah, it's already lemon and lime. So I guess it's more leaning towards the lime flavor, I suppose. But it's not going to make that significant a difference. It might be a little more sour, I think. But. I feel like I've had this before, but I don't remember necessarily. I guess maybe they got the balance wrong. 
it stood out to me because like this is it's not like a whole new bottle but like the logo's like yellow and it literally says laminate at the bottom so i just assumed like it's an it's a new flavor or something and that's that's what caught my interest but tasting it now yeah it just kind of tastes like sprite you know if you actually went to like some like fast food joints that have those like coke freestyle stuff like machines and if you actually select sprite you, there's like several different flavors you can attach to sprite and they yeah, actually yeah. have it colorized and stuff like that i usually go with sprite with grape of all things Ooh, ooh that's how that sounds good though actually <laughs> I do like weird American grape flavor. It is always something that I dig when I find it. Grape soda might be the best thing to ever exist. Like, every time I, like, go to Wendy's, I have to get, like, Fanta grape. I'll fuck with Fanta orange, uh, for sure, because both are good. But, like, Fanta grape, it's just, it's good. I've never been that big a fan of grape soda, to be honest. But I can see the, the appeal of the flavor. You know, that's fair. I can't really fault you for that, because, like, I could see maybe why, like, some people wouldn't like grape flavor. Anyway, we should probably really get to talking about Red Sprite. You know, Red Sprite was a series that came out during the first year of our show, and this conversation is a throwback to our early conversations as well. Like, episode <laughs> eight, Fast Food Mavericks. You know? Oh, yeah, We're that's right. bringing that segment back. Meet the Fast Food Mavericks. We've all assembled. No longer talking about manga. We're going to be talking about soft drinks. We're going to be talking about Wendy's. You know, speaking of grape soda, remember when they had the Rick and Morty promotion and there was, like, the, the Jerry grape soda? I didn't get a chance to try that. No. Oh, that was pretty good. You know, they should bring that back. You know, Rick and Morty's coming back for a new season. Bring back the, the promotions. They were delicious. The best part about Rick and Morty is the fast food promotions. <laughs> I, I mean... You know, it seems like they're just constantly in bed with Wendy's anyway. I don't know why they don't just keep those flavors. Yeah, seriously. Just just make them the new mascots. You know, kick Wendy to another dimension. You know, it's it's now uh, Rick Wendy. Wendy Rick! I can't help the feeling that you guys would rather talk about junk food than Red Sprite by Tomohiro Yagi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's not like we don't have anything to say about Red Sprite, but do we have a lot to say? I guess that's what we're going to find out. Mm-hmm. And before we get on to Red Sprite, we should probably introduce our guests. Uh, with us, as always, is our good friend and Shonen Jump enthusiast, host of French Member Victory, and now manga consultant, manga historian on Shonen Flop, Maxi Bernard. They keep calling me a historian. It's so weird. <laughs> It's like, I'm not, I'm just old, please. Just <laughs> use Google better, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're telling yourself short. You've done a lot of research. I'm a historian because I know what the difference is between a gug manga and a comedy manga, you know? like it's, <laughs> it, Those are the crucial things that really separate me from the pack. Uh, anyway, yes, glad, well, glad to be here. Glad to be talking to you guys. Not so glad for what we're going to have to talk about. <laughs> oh, Everyone is acting so dour. It's, we'll get into it. It's hardly the worst thing. Well, we'll get into it. I mean, it's one of the nine worst things, according to me. <laughs> really? Maxi, after Gakyo Hote earlier this year, I don't see how this is comparable. But. I definitely have thoughts on where we place this amongst, like, all the other cancel stuff we talk about. But let, let's introduce our next guest, you know, someone we've had on the show before, my good friend and the host of the Ask Backwards Enemy podcast, uh, Doctor. Hello. Hi, everyone. I've been summoned here to... Talk about a old series that I honestly forgot I talked about <laughs> uh, back then on my Patreon. <laughs> so it, it was kind of cool to actually revisit the, sh the series. And uh, I, I want to I wanted to say I'm as negative as Maxi on the series, but I think the lost potential is probably the best way I can phrase this, um, how I feel about this series. But we'll get into it. 
I think that's totally mm-hmm. fair. But yeah, I guess we should just really get right into it. I guess, do we want to talk about like what the series is about before we get into any like interesting factoids about Jump at the time or? I mean, it's like kind of like most shows, if you want to call it that. There is a, the world kind of is in this weird steampunky sort of environment. Uh, people are pretty fashy. Uh, and, um, and a little boy who is technically a human battery, uh, uses his powers to get his friends back. Of which he only is able to take back two, because the series got cancelled. And one of them even freed themselves, so, like, he only really takes back one. Technically. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he has to recruit the other one, you know, he has to convince him to come with him. So, it's like an arc. It's it's like an arc. It's kind of, I mean, <laughs> well, technically, it is an arc. It is, it's it like is half an arc. the series. It's the entire second volume. Like it's like, it's not his fault that like the series stops right as he got him. So it's like, oh, okay. And then the other four, and then we'll never see them again. Yeah, yeah we we get a lot of hints about like all the other interesting characters that we might meet, but like that's kind of about all we get before the series gets canned. Unfortunately. Oh yeah, I love when you get like the the opening color spread in chapter ones of any series where you like see what a bunch of characters are going to be and you don't actually get to meet half of them because the series bombs mm-hmm. it's like it really gives you an idea of what could have been both for good and ill and it's like oh the taste of what could have been there's almost better than the sad reality that could have happened if it did trundle on without getting better yeah, but I mean, Doc, I, I think I think you covered the broad strokes of it pretty well, because I mean, again, I, I think because the series ended when it did, the actual like plot in the story is, I don't want to say it's bare bones, but it is like, it's easy enough to describe, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's like a young child has a parental figure in the beginning who actually secretly knows about his entire history and tells him like to move on after dying, of course, and... <laughs> And the journey begins from there. It's it's kind of, I feel like it's, I would say, almost tried and true with a lot of stories that come out of the magazine. Yeah, I'd say so. Especially compared to, like, because I guess we can use that as a transition to talk about, like, the other series that were coming out around this time within the same serialization round. Because, fun fact, uh, around the time Red Sprite premiered, we had already had the premieres of both The Promised Neverland and Love Rush. Ooh, Love Rush. <laughs> yes, that, that that was definitely the series that I think uh, caught on the most with readers. I mean, I liked Love Rush. You know, it was it was definitely a bad look, but it grew on me for its little run. Mm-hmm. I remember when we talked about Love Rush like a long time ago, which honestly, that's a series I wouldn't mind like revisiting, especially since well, we already covered it. We we already covered it, but from what I understand, like there's more stuff in the volumes we could talk about, and I I think there's like extra stuff in the story. I could be wrong about that. I don't think there was enough to support an episode, if I remember right. I I, I feel I literally threaded it out. I could look it up if I wasn't so lazy. I could look up my own tweets, maybe. And I I don't I don't mean to start planning podcasts while we're literally in the middle of one, but like I wouldn't mind talking about Love Rush again, just because like I feel like we've really gotten into a groove with how I in particular really want to talk about these canceled series to the point where I think we could even improve on our discussion. Not that our last one was like bad, but there's probably like a little bit more we could talk about, but that's kind of up in the air. We could talk more about that some other time. I mean, it's like you want to talk about the context around it like we do now, or you just you feel like we'll have more thoughts on the series itself. I'd be interested in how I feel about it a couple years removed 
Like, that's a big reason why I like talking about these canceled series is because I like putting some distance in between, like, you know, when they end and when we actually get around to talking about them. That That's when I think our conversations are, mo- are most interesting, retrospectively. Sure. But yeah. And in fairness, our love versus suggestion was done just a few months after that series ended. Mm-hmm. So. Plus, it was also coupled with, like, our survey results at the time. So, you know, that, that was around the time when we were still kind of figuring these episodes out. But anyway, The Promised Neverland, it's really interesting that both Red Sprite and The Promised Neverland came out in the same serialization round. Because I, I feel like even back then, when I read Red Sprite, it was kind of interesting that we got two series within the same time frame about, like, orphan kids that are used as, uh, that are used as, like, a resource, you know? They even, like, really, really, like, stack the deck against uh, Red Sprite because Promise Neverland came out a few weeks before the serialization round with Love Rush so like it got its premise off the ground properly and then it was like here's something that's a little similar and like kids and teenagers really reject copycat stuff like pretty cleanly so this had no chance even though it wasn't the same round you can't rip off something that was like coming out at the same time as you were developing your series yeah it's just parallel thinking I feel like that happens a lot sometimes because I I feel like in the years we've been covering like new jump series on the podcast, I feel like there have been more than one serialization round we've talked about on the show where it's like oh, some of these series are like weirdly similar to each other. Like, I don't know if like that's because, again, like we said, parallel thinking is happening or like editorials looking for like a particular type of series and they really like the idea of like pitting same series against each other. I don't know. It's, I guess that comes with the competition of jump. Especially when it comes to like the shonen action series that deal with like supernatural themes and stuff you know we have this whole you know tiredness with like these exorcism type series there's like a glut of them for a while and i think it's like oh they were chasing a trend so they were looking at greenlighting a bunch of series similar to that at one point in time I mean, sometimes you do get there just really trying to force the genre. So, like, they're saying to artists, we'll serialize you if you do X type of series. Like, back in 2010, when we got football series, one after another, it went like, here's Shonen Shiku, here's Lightwing, here's Doi Soul. Like, it was just like, please, somebody give a shit about football, please. No. (laughs) Uh, Can we get another Captain Tsubasa? No? Okay. I guess we tried. They barely even tried. (laughs) Uh, something else I think is really interesting. Again, big shout outs to uh, Jajan Ken, which uh, we've been using as like a resource on like what different series were like running at the time, because they literally have like, I don't know about every issue listed as far as like table of contents go, but it's pretty like comprehensive. And I suggest any other jump head listening to this to uh, go take a look. We'll leave links in the show notes. But um, looking at the issue where the first chapter Red Sprite ran, I mean, I don't know if you guys have anything you want to point out, feel free. But um, kind of looking through a lot of like what was going on jump at the time there wasn't anything in like particular that really stood out to me though i do want to just get this out of the way since uh doc's on doc have you had the chance to look at this google doc like do you already know where i'm going with this um not exactly but yeah go ahead did you happen to take a look at where gintama was at the time oh yes uh that was like in the middle of silver soul so that was like big big plot stuff was happening for the for a while yeah, we were literally in the middle of the final arc, yeah. Yeah. Specifically, it was the chapter where, uh, I think at the end, they meet up with Utsuro again for the first time. It's not like the big battle, but it's still pretty early on in the arc. But this is <laughs> this is specifically the chapter where Gintoki is like at a library, I think. And he looks at a past issue of Jump and he finds out, oh, there was a Gintama live action movie while we were in the middle of our last arc. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, I remember that. That was a stupid gag. 
That was so fucking funny. And then, uh, I mean, again, if you guys have anything you want to point out, feel free. But um, this was also around the time where, like, Demon Slayer was still really early on in its run. Like, we were just about to get into the Spider Mountain arc. Mm, before it was popular. Uh, like, people forget, but Demon Slayer was doing, like, 20k a volume for the first few. So, yeah. like, it was, it, was still struggling. it was a while after this that it blew up. Yeah, I was still towards the bottom in the TOC. Like, I revisited our conversation Same, yeah. on this round at the time, and speculating, you know, I was like, mm, well, for these new series to find a footing, it seems like some of these other series that are kind of middling right now, like Demon Slayer, Salmon, and Straight Up, will need to fall. And so, you know, <laughs> none of these series, except for Problems of Run, really uh, lasted, so... It's just so funny to think that back then we were worried about Demon Slayer getting canceled. <laughs> yeah, it was a real fear. Like, it did not have that, like, big spark in immediate popularity early on. It really it took a few years to grow its audience. And, of course, the anime helped a lot. Yeah. And uh, came in coming at a great point where the manga was also, like, really exploding into the final arc. So it's just, like, kind of a perfect synergy there of excitement. Yeah, it's just it's just so funny to think about. It's also funny to think about how back then as a podcast, it took us significantly less time to go over uh, simul pubs because I think we were still kind of figuring out our format. Yeah, we weren't going in as depth as we do now or as comprehensively. We were discussing our thoughts on these. Yeah, we did kind of just rush through three series in like 11 minutes, which would be like <laughs> the amount of time we spend on one series now at the very least. Yeah. <laughs> Shows us how far we've come. Um, yeah, but uh, I have other stuff written down here. But again, nothing in this like particular issue, like around this time in the magazine, like absolutely stood up to me unless there was anything like you guys wanted to mention. Yeah, I think the most important piece of context for when Red Sprite debuted in Jump is that it debuted the week after Bleach ended. And because mm. of that coincidence, like a lot of people latched onto Red Sprite early on because it was the first new Shonen Battle series after Bleach ended by saying this is the replacement for Bleach this will be the new Bleach <laughs> you had a bunch of shonen YouTubers like for Neverworld and James Hansen you know really try and push that and try to create that narrative and of course it did not pan out they should have waited a few months for Black Clover but you know that's kind of the biggest context and what people were thinking about when Red Spider Beauty is like okay this is the new shonen battle series that is going to be taking Bleach's spot here so that's why I think a lot of people started to pay attention to it and started to really get into it and hype it up early on. And yeah, it just did not really capture an audience, at least in Japan. But in terms of like English manga fan circles, I remember a lot of enthusiasm for Red Sprite. So much so that in the comments for our discussion of it on YouTube, like there was a person who was like saying how disappointed they were that Red Sprite got canceled, that they were like messaging them for weeks after to say like, hey, please add it back and stuff <laughs> like that. So, you know, that's kind of the most, I think, important aspect of when Red Sprite came out is that it was coming out in the shadow of Bleach ending and people placing all these pretty unfair expectations that it would be the next big thing because it was literally the next new Shonen Battle manga to debut and jump afterwards. I can't believe Shonen Jump fans would expect so much from all these mangas. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow, putting so unnecessary expectations on so many series. Like, you have to pull in a void. It's like you have to control the power vacuum that is the big three, which is, makes no 
fucking sense. Yeah, I mean, it really does feed back into that narrative that it, there has to be a big three of Shonen Battle series. And so that's why people are saying, oh, this is going to be the next thing that'll be in that trifecta. This is the replacement for something that's left that trifecta. And we still see people fall into that pattern of thinking now. God, if what could have been if we had a big three of The Promised Neverland, Demon Slayer, Red Sprite, man... <laughs> What a what a world we could have lived in. Yeah. I, I joke, but I'm sure there's probably someone out there who like legitimately thinks that and like is like stays awake at night thinking what could have been. <laughs> Maybe. I'm sure there's still people who hold fond members. In fact, I think we got a comment on Twitter from someone who's like, Oh, you know, I really like this and wish it had continued. So you know, there's still people who remember it fondly. Yeah, we got one from uh, SD Shamshell who said, yeah, it's all, always thought the series just had so much potential. So I, mean, I think potential is the big word here, right? It's a series that potentially could have gone on to develop into an even more interesting series, flesh out its characters and worlds some more. It's just unfortunate that it was cut short at a time where Jump was pretty stacked. It had a lot of hits still running even with the departure of Legion Nisekoi. So competition was tight and it could not survive past three months just because there were still a lot of new titles coming in and there were still a lot of titles that had come before that were doing well. It just did not find its audience in time. No, unfortunately. I mean, it's it's just really interesting to think about which of these cancelled series end up gaining like the most cult popularity and love amongst them, you know? Because mm -hmm. I, I think I could definitely say, and I guess we can like transition into like sort of our history with Red Sprite and how we maybe felt about it at whatever time we read it. I mean, I can say for sure, you know, I listened back to that old discussion we had as well on YouTube. And um, if I remember correctly, even back then, I don't think I was like in love with it, but I think I was like interested in seeing like where it could go. Like I, I definitely felt the same way, like, oh, this definitely has some potential and I really would like to see where it went. But I definitely I remember being like the most excited for the Promised Neverland because how could you not? It was like the best new thing to start at the time. Like, we, I think we can all agree, like, at least for Lum and I, we were both like really in love with it. Yeah, Promised Neverland stood out as a premise. It was different from the traditional kind of battle action or even a sports premise. It was a battle of wits, a battle of minds. It had a lot of horror and mystery intrigue. So it was like a fresh new element to the jump lineup that you weren't getting from any other series. Yeah. In comparison, Red Sprite was more of a traditional battle manga of a kind we've seen before in other series that you could draw easy comparisons to other battle titles. Like readily you could draw comparison to FMA with like some of the setting and kind of the electricity effects and stuff. And that was a common comparison point. And the setting in particular. Yeah, and also the f element of a fascist government uh, <laughs> pressing in line to the people. Yeah. So, I mean, you have, like, a more familiarity with, like, oh, Red Sprite is, like, something we've seen before. Promise ever felt like, oh, this is something new that, you know, we can draw a comparison to the fact that, you know, we had, like, a untraditional Battle of Wits type of manga with Death Note, but it's been a long time since then that we had something that really broke out in a big way like that. And this was such a a different concept in premise and in what the stakes were that it was really enthralling and intriguing mm -hmm, for sure but yeah lum and i i mean i guess lum do you want to talk more about your history or do you think uh is there anything more you want to add i guess i should say 
What I'll say is this. When you told me last year that you wanted to do Red Sprite, my reaction was, really? <laughs> when you, I remember when you told Maxie, their reaction was also, really? And it was like, well, why Red Sprite? Why now? Because... Red Sprite, in my memory, was a series that uh, it kind of had left my memory. It's just one that did not leave a lasting impression in the years since I had read it. To the point where I was kind of feeling, uh, what's interesting about going back to reread Red Sprite? You know, and what's the occasion of doing it now? Well, the occasion of doing it now is that this was supposed to be the Bleach replacement. And well, here we are six years later and Bleach is coming back. So who needs a replacement? But, you know, the other aspect of this is that in rereading it, I remembered, oh, wait a minute. I actually enjoyed this when it was running. And as I continued to read it, I was like, oh, yeah, I did really like this. And especially I remember I had fond memories of like the Alfred arc. And I was really getting into that storyline and like kind of his personal conflict of what where he wants to stay loyal to the country that took him in or his old friends I thought that was a generally good emotional core and character arc and I thought that you know storyline was good and I just remember feeling disappointed that the series was cut short and then in revisiting the video I was, saw that I even left a comment that was basically yeah I was like disappointed that it uh, didn't last because the setting and aesthetic were unlike any Anything else in Jump, even if it was similar to other stuff. Yeah. But like I also had mentioned in that comment, it also wasn't as flashy, fast-paced, or emotionally charged early on as some of the more successful Jump battle manga in recent years. And especially at a competitive time with like a lot of turnover for new series, I think that Red Sprite taking its time to kind of develop its story worked against it. And reading it all in a burst is, you know, pretty enjoyable. I think it flows pretty smoothly. I like that we have a basically three chapter introduction and then basically the series can be divided into like three arcs, like this three chapter like introduction where they get the ship and his initial crew and then the conflict with like the destroyer blimp and then the arc in the other country. So I think in terms of like pacing, it like got to like action and got to like, you know, encountering, you know, another one of his comrades like pretty early on. It's just that it still was too slow in terms of giving a hook than other series at the time, especially if you were to compare it to Promise Neverland. What Promise Neverland did is that it left a really big impression with a huge twist and hook right in its first chapter. Yep. The twist in Red Sprite doesn't leave the same impact because it happens mid-chapter for one thing, but also we really didn't build up the amount of dread and foreboding to make that really work. And also I think the moments of horror really could have been emphasized, especially when we uncover the energy pod in which like we see like the withered living course of one of the Plas humans uh, that were, you know, powering uh, the ship that Neuron like kind of blew down. Like, I think that that moment should have been really more horrifying, should have been played for much more. I mean, it's a grotesque vigil, but yeah. it could have been much more intense. And so I think what the series kind of lacked was a flair for really strong visual execution, like really letting you seep into the visuals and into its own pace and a tone that kind of would enrapture you in the same way Promise Neverland was able to accomplish. And so by the end of the first chapter, you feel like you've gotten like a big whiplash of like 
You start off from a pretty happy-go-lucky place with these kids. Then you have a bit of horror and action in the middle. And then you kind of end in a place of, like, triumph and optimism. And I think if you had kind of played out the desperation of the situation a little more and maybe focused a little more on kind of Tatsu's fragility a little bit, you know, have him be a little more Wallenberg for a longer stretch of time rather than come back as, like, the uber-confident and capable badass that he is for most of the series, I think that you could have found more of a compelling hook to his character and to the story and setting. So that's kind of what I see as kind of the biggest weakness in terms of Red Sprite's inability to like kind of latch onto readers in a more gripping way, in a broader way, in the same way Promise Neverland was able to accomplish. No, I agree. Um, I just want to say for the record really quickly that I wanted to cover Red Sprite and Gakuhote this year mostly because my way of thinking is that as far as these like canceled jump series go, I want to cover everything that actually like got a full simulpub from its jumpstart run before we like get into everything that we've gotten like through the show to jump app is kind of my way of thinking. So and we're we're getting pretty close to like covering the rest of those because I think the only thing we have to cover after this is uh is robot laser beam and I guess technically Teenage Renaissance David, that didn't really get like a full sample pub on showing a jump, but it did get one on Manga Plus, so I'm counting it. But yeah, I just I just wanted to put that out there because yeah, I didn't really have like a particular reason I wanted to cover Red Sprite other than again, you know, Red Sprite is something that I'm really glad that I've put like, you know, some distance from it because like I remember being... I'm just going to say, I was a lot more positive on the series back then than I am now. Like, reading through it again... I think I, I can just say, I think I like it less than the last time I read it. And I think part of that is because as soon as we get to like the most interesting stuff, arguably, I, I know that the end is around the corner and I just I just kind of get my disappointment ready in advance because it's like, oh, I know we're not going to get more after this. So it, it makes it harder for me to care about like what, what's going on. But that's just me. And that is it's like the expectations of going in and like knowing that it's a cancel series, that it won't really go anywhere. But... I will say, like, rereading the series, I had a good time with it, actually, you know, and I was like, oh, you know, I still like this. I think the biggest mark against it is that it's a canceled series and could not complete its story. Yeah. But I really don't have too many, like, negatives other than, well, here's my observations of why this probably didn't catch an audience in the way it needed to to support itself long term. And then I have, like, a complaint about the beginning having, like, a queer-coded villain and it's just, like, a big stereotype that annoys the hell yep, out of me. Yep, because as we all know, effeminate men are bad and evil because men can't be effeminate. Yeah, no. <laughs> that's, the, that's them how you know they're bad, is that God. they're effeminate and they wear lipstick and uh, they call kids mama. Or they ask kids to call them mama, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's pretty bad. Yeah, a pretty gross, tiresome stereotype. That thankfully, we avoided such things in the rest of the series. Um, but just to summarize, I am definitely in the camp of I have more negatives on this than I do positives. But we should really move on to our guests. Um, and I want to I want to he hear from Doc next. Just kind of your experience reading through the series because you kind you kind of mentioned it earlier. But um, you read through this series as a part of a special sort of series that you did on your Patreon at Patreon.com/ssa network. Well, uh, yeah, and to kind of do a slight correction, it was like more so the tail end of the series that I actually covered it. Well, no, let me rephrase this. So um, I think at the time, 
and it was around 2018 when I actually read the series. So the series has been well done by then. Uh, and uh, I think I took it upon myself to want to try to go back and read uh, a lot of Jump that I didn't get a chance to check out back in 2016. So I ended up going through, and I think I recorded most of it on my Twitter. Jumping through 2016 was pretty much the hashtag. And I ended up going through every as much as I could of stuff I wanted to do. But I think it, because I think it was also coinciding with like uh, other podcasts that I was also other projects I was also a part of. Um, so I ended up working out that way. I ended up reading through Red Sprite in the process of that. Uh, and then eventually would would make a jumping through 2017 podcast exclusive to the Patreon. And uh, that would end up being what would be the final chapters of of red sprite too so i think i got my thoughts within early in that show after the afterwards it was whatever was left over but yeah i think going through it the first time i was like oh okay i kind of see where this is going i think i even wrote recorded down somewhere it's like by like the 10th chapter i was like okay i'm really get i'm really starting to get into the series and then by then i, I knew already it's like oh this it's already done so oh no <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of, again, same same thing where I was like, I kind of already was prepared. I prepared myself already to be like, oh, so I guess uh, how is this going to end? And then it ends. And it's like, oh, okay. Um, hmm. And I think after reading it the first time, I remember feeling like, oh, okay, this this was an interesting premise. I say loosely, but it was always something that I, I thought good with it. I thought like, oh, okay, I like it. It's fine. It's not something I would recommend to people because I think like my sliding scale of how I enjoy things is always very uh, ridiculous, um, fluid, like gender. Um, but it's, <laughs> it is it is one of those things where like I saw, I read it, thought it was fine. And, you know, I think every once in a while I go, I think about it again to be like, oh, yeah, I remember that series. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. It's always in a positive light. It's never really negative. Uh, but reading reading it now for the series, I think it was for this, it was like, oh, yeah, this could have been better. This could have been worked a little bit differently. And I, I think a lot of the stuff that Lum mentioned already was like kind of where I would feel is the same in like, oh, I, they could have gone through this a lot faster. They could have done this with a better hook. Something else to get people more motivated to kind of read and support it. But it's also, I, I would say I'm more... I know how the system works. I get it. And that's something that I have come to accept when series don't continue for whatever reason. And it's just that, okay, you know, I, I get it. Everyone has to, every series has to either be like the best thing that ever happened. Otherwise, it doesn't stay in the magazine that long. So sure, I sometimes I kind of want just like a B tier series that I wouldn't mind reading that it's just very like pick up and the put down just casual read kind of stuff like i understand like some people that need their art to be art um <laughs> and i'm more kind of simpler like i you know i'll play a video game that is you know not a triple a game i'll play i'll watch a movie that is a goofy horror movie not everything has to be as best as possible again i know it needs to for the magazine and i guess for readership or whatever to continue the this weird to feed into our god of manga that we need we have to sacrifice all these series these low tier series <laughs> to to allow things to prosper for one piece to get another chapter <laughs> i i think that's just it or i've come to accept a lot of that stuff and reading stuff like this is like oh yeah this is kind of cool to pick up like a volume into like if this would have stretched out a little bit further i wouldn't have mind but i do not see this as a long-running series like <laughs> 10 volumes maybe i could see that i think that's fair because like they only have 
four companions after they recruit Alfred. So it's like, realistically, like, even if we spent, like, a couple volumes even on them, like, I can't see, like, long term this being the kind of series that would last for more than three years tops. Yeah, and I think that's maybe probably part of the expectation with a lot of series, especially with stuff like this, where I look at it as, like, this doesn't have to be the thing that ends with the magazine. Like, it doesn't have to be a thing that has to compete with One Piece, necessarily, or any other long-running series. This is not the replacement for Bleach. (laughs) (laughs) This needs to be a series that has a story that wants it to tell, and it will tell it until it gets to the end. And I think what I saw in the first volume was like, oh, okay, you're setting up a foundation of how you want to go apart. We have seven kids. They're important. Gather them together. We have a fascist organization. Okay, cool. Ba 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 ba. And here you go. And then we go off to the races. And that's kind of all I needed to know as far as Red Sprite as what it wanted to try to play out. It could have expanded so many things as far as like the power sect. How does that stuff work? How do these kids develop? Uh, what happens to kids if they do die or something ridiculous? Because you don't see that at all. I mean, they mentioned the Ash stuff, that, that which was a kind of like, oh, that's very foreboding. What does that mean? Ooh, does one, yeah. What happens? Like, could that have gone somewhere? We don't know. There is enough there that they. I think you could see that he was trying to place stuff in there for the future. But obviously, you got to wrap it up because it's one of those things where, like, they know they're not staying long. Like, the creators are told well in advance, like, hey, uh, we're not going to keep you around. Uh, so if you got something, you need to finish it off. Finish it off. It's not like week of there. It's like, hi, you're done. Yeah, it's at least a three-week notice. More or less. Like, hey, yeah, you're you're about to finish an arc? Well, that's going to be the end of your series. Just so you know. Um, so, like, they kind of give you, like, the little sunset ending of, like, okay, one day we'll find the rest of these kids, and as a... I, I don't know if that's just, like, their way of saying, like, okay, if for whatever miracle someone else picks me up, here's the ending of my thing, I can literally jump right in and lead you to the next part, but who knows? Uh, or maybe that's, you know, I, I never see the, I didn't see the ending as an ending. It's just like a, oh. Yeah, it's a stopping point. It's like the end of the arc, but it's not the end of, like, the story. Yeah, yeah. Because there's a lot of different approaches you can do when you're in this situation where you have to cut a story short. You can either try and cram in the ending with a flash forward or you can just have a stopping point and give it kind of an air of finality, but like a, you know, the journey will continue type air about it. And that's what I think they chose to do with this. Our journey has only just begun. Pretty much, yeah. That's that's all you got to do. And I think by the end, it was like, all right, like, that's cool. That's good. Uh, I, w- I would hope I would hope for more, but you know, we're probably not getting it. Uh, <laughs> it would have been neat, but um, hey, it is what it is. For sure. Um, so Doc is definitely more positive. I wanted to save Maxi for last because I know Maxi has the harshest takes on the series. So Maxi, please take it away. The thing is, it's just going to be kind of withering, to be honest. So I, I came to this series when it came out as someone who had read the previous series, Iron Knight and wasn't particularly inspired by it, but a lot of people saw potential in the author, and so it was like, okay, let's see what this guy can do this time. And as much as we keep naming The Promised Neverland, what I kind of felt like is it it reminds me a lot of uh, Full Metal Alchemist, yeah, sure. yeah. Yeah, of yeah. all things. Uh, stuff like the power sets, the sort of thing of having a bit of a boner for the military, but also military bad, but militias, also pretty good. Kind of, kind of, kind of looks cool, kind of looks hot, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like, you know, we we like the aesthetic, it's just a yeah. shame that this uh, this bad guy's in yeah. charge, which is 
A weird thing about both series. Yeah, military isn't the problem, but, you know, fascism is what corrupts the military. So we just have to outroot the fascists and install good leaders in charge. A a bad leader's the issue, never bad people. Guys, it's just a few bad apples, all right? Indeed. (laughs) I think the main thing is, is I had a lot of hopes for this beyond just being an okay series like the artist had not developed much since iron knight i I think this storytelling from panel to panel is pretty weak source they use screen tones but they use them very sparingly it's like used for the occasional bit of uniform or the sky and that which is means you kind of get everything feeling kind of stark it is mostly black and white Uh, some stuff does look really cool like the guy can design the heck out of an airship i i really like all the airships and you get some cool stuff with lightning as you would hope for an electricity power based series uh, but I, I feel like it's just it's very directionless like you, you've got your Paper Mario and the Seven Stars sort of hook with the seven main characters it's always seven in these things Chaos Emeralds Dragon Balls you yeah. know <laughs> It's all this good stuff. And, like, I, I think there could have been a lot done there, but the two we get really exposed to, other, other than Tatsu, of course, who's just kind of too much of a shonen protagonist. Yeah. I said it as someone yeah. who likes Asta from Black Clover. But then you have, like, Mono, who is, you know, I, I like how he's retrieved and gets to be happy and looks quite androgynous. All these things are fun. And then he just turns into a useful battery when the plot requires it, which feels massively wasteful yeah. for a character that I'm sure who has been through some horrific traumas. You could do some amazing stuff with that. Uh, and then you've got Albert, who I keep going to call Alfred, to the point where I literally have uh, very little notes for this. I mostly just one that says Albert. I think it is Alfred. I, isn't it Albert? No, it's it's Alfred. See, so it's, it's difficult. It's a terrible <laughs> name. It's a good name. It's a fine name. Whichever, whichever one of the two it is, the name is okay. But they they come across far more as what I would have enjoyed more as a protagonist. Yeah. Someone who's, you know, they've got this now older bond with their parental figure that's like trying to tell them to go out into the world to take the opportunity to try and build something better, but it's instead like obsessed with trying to self-sacrifice to protect the place that's given him a home for so long after all his traumas. Like, I, I think he would have been an amazing protagonist with a lot of layers, especially for a series that's dark enough to do things like kill off other characters, like, quite brutally, to be honest. I mean, the fact that our uh, our big fashy man, David Atlas, who at first I thought might have been a Charles Atlas reference, but I never want to see him kick over a nah. sandcastle, so it's <laughs> unlikely. And, you know, obviously he, he can use his electricity powers for his wonderful fashy ways, burn through a purse and stuff, and, um... And I've now just distracted myself because I said the words Charles Atlas and I started thinking about the bloody adverts. <laughs> but yeah, there, there's a lot of things, but I think there was there was depths to plumb and I kind of want to fantasy book this series. If you gave me all the pieces and the core concept, I feel like you could rearrange the pieces under this current author and it could have come out not as a huge hit. But it, it could have been a solid two-star, runs a good half-year sort of series, at minimum. Like, th- there is... Like, we talk about the potential thing here. My main frustration with this series is that I don't think, from the first chapter forward, it feels like the potential keeps dripping and dripping away as decisions just don't feel quite good enough. Especially things that get kind of lost by the sideline, like um, when Tatsu, in, when he invades the other ship, and he's, like, looking at the female pilot, being like, hmm... And there's no acknowledgement that the reason he's doing that is because she is literally identical to his pilot. <laughs> like, nothing's done with that at all, because he had the rest of the story to tell and didn't find room for the punchline. Uh, and so it's like, it's it's always so close, and it's never there, and it just, by the end of it, I just 
I don't know, I felt pretty cold. I think One Star definitely feels harsh on my part, because, like, that puts it in the bottom rung with stuff like School Judgment and Barrage and that, but it's the fact it fails to execute on anything I feel like it could have done that puts it this low. Instead, it just gets to kind of be a, a reminder of failures. Yeah, I, I think I feel the same way. You know, honestly, I think the series has a similar problem that Barrage did, where I feel like with Barrage, we talked about it at length, but with Barrage in particular, Barrage's problem is that I just don't think Barrage was given enough time to really show off what it could do. Like I I said it on that podcast. I think if Barrage in particular lasted until at least the next serialization round, I think Horikoshi could have saved it. And I I feel the exact same way about Red Sprite. Because I feel like I would have liked it if Red Sprite got maybe like a few more months, enough for Yagi to like help dig himself out of this hole that he unfortunately was in, you know? Like both series I think really got the shaft quite honestly. Um, But that's just me. Well, the the second volume makes a really great argument for having each one of these kids being recovered or re-encountered as being, like, a completely separate arc with its own vibe and its own challenges to deal with. And it also gets across what the Ash Soldiers are about and how they're actually, like, a really interesting idea that I... Like, the the tease was good, because we were teased, oh, why didn't they take action back when Tatsuya was, like, taking over the broadcast? And it's like, oh, we can't reveal what their deal is, because they're living fossils that coat themselves with ash and can, like, really just fuck up everyone, because they're immortal. They're literally an amalgamation of dead soldiers, and that's honestly really fucked up, and actually kind of interesting. It's so great. (laughs) And again, this is the thing, it's like, so you get this arc that's contained unto itself, that does something slightly different to what the story had been before, sets up an interesting new aspect going forwards, and you think each one of those arcs with each one of these kids, whether that be, like, just another sort of more generic kid, or that one they keep teasing who's got a big old scar on their face and is being kept, like, surrounded by a million wires. The one with the robot arm. Like, there's totally stuff that we could see down the line that would have had all sorts of different genre vibes, and it could have been great. And yeah, I think maybe maybe one more arc would have been kind, especially because it's shorter than Iron Knight. Uh, no one's second series should have to be shorter than their first cancellation. Like, if you mess up the first time, let them try a bit harder the second time. <laughs> yeah... It's unfortunate. Mm. Um, I hate to keep bringing up Barrage, but, you know, I was going to ask you, Maxi, because, you know, you, you have both Red Sprite and Barrage rated the same, you know, according to your one-star scale. I personally think that I prefer Barrage over this, because I feel like Barrage, for as short as it was, and for how soon it ended, clearly sooner than it was intended, I feel like Barrage managed to accomplish a lot more, comparatively. Because I feel like Red Sprite obviously has, like, a goal, but a part of me is really thinking like, okay, well, did the series get canned because like Yagi dragged his feet too much in terms of like the storytelling and like getting to anything like really emotionally resident or was editorial just too impatient to let this build to anything? I think it's impatience personally. Okay, I'll I'll give you two ways of thinking about this. Red Sprite has design work that's decent. Because of the military uniforms, you've got character designs that are relatively strong, you've got vehicle designs that are very solid, and it means you get the broader concepts, like the sort of electric cloud wall that they had to get over gets to be like a cool visual. So it's got that. Barrage has a certain sort of charisma but its design work is absolute shit. So, like, they both bring their own thing to the table, and I think it depends what you want more, and they both have pretty bad uh, visual storytelling, so it's like you... 
And that's unfair. They they both have worse storytelling than I'd expect for an author's second series. No, no, that's fair. I think there are some effective sequences. You know, obviously I'm much kinder on Barrage than you guys are, but I also feel like with Red Sprite, I thought there were some pretty good visual sequences, like effective uses of two parade spreads or page turns. I like the moment where, you know, they're having this whole maneuver of kind of hiding their skip from the Excalibur, and we have the big two-page spread of it, like, coming up from behind the ship. That, that's a good like, one, like, tricked yeah. it with a gunner ship. He has a really good sense of perspective that I think makes those elements pop pretty well. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's pretty dynamic looking. I like the gag moment where, like, all the Plasmero soldiers are, like, you know, being introduced for our text box, and then we turn the page, and, like, Tatsu is just, like, knock them all out in a row with his bunt of his hilt. That was so fu- That was funny, actually, yeah. <laughs> Which I'm glad for, because they could not look like a worse group of jobbers <laughs> if they tried, you know? Like, there's nothing to them. Pretty generic looks, but, like, it was a funny reveal. I, and I generally thought, like, the also, like, when, you know, Blackburn is, like, being defeated, and, like, we see his, like, skeleton form, like, cracking apart and on fire and stuff, that's cool visual. There are some really cool visual action beats here. Yeah, but this is what I mean, there's cool visuals, but, like, my main issue here is the storytelling, how things go from panel to panel, how they're laid out on the page. Like, you can do all the good illustrations in the world, but that makes you an illustrator, not a comic artist. Sure, but I also didn't really feel like there was anything that was super confusing. I would go back to say how what I mentioned before, where I felt like the reveal of, like, the weird plasmero uh, person in the battery pod in that one ship they brought down in the first chapter. How that could have been a stronger reveal. Like, yeah, I think that there could have been some sequences that were improved upon in, like, giving a sense of dynamism and impact in that respect. But in terms of, like, the flow of panels and flow of beats, I don't think there was any point where I was confused in, like, how things move from beat to beat. I just think things could have maybe been framed a bit more strongly in some respects. Yeah, it it doesn't have to be confusing to be bad. Sometimes it can just be that the continuity is not particularly strong, or, like, the layout doesn't excite or draw the reader's eye in a way that's particularly effective like confusing would be like outright bad storytelling this is just storytelling that's there you know like it's not it's fine yeah yeah i think layout is a good criticism like i don't think like there were a lot of super strong layouts i don't know if there was like continuity problems i noticed but i yeah i could definitely see and i wonder if like some of it is just at least with the early parts of the series is someone who thought they would never get cancelled and kind of try to set a lot of or like probably put in nuggets of things that could have eventually led to something and I think that's probably if we look at it from the perspective of oh he knows he's done after 12 14 chapters and I think yeah. that's how we have to mm-hmm. like we have to not frame it that way I think it's sometimes we have to think of it like okay what if he thought this series was going to go to his, its conclusion yeah then a lot of a lot of the ideas that he probably put into there especially in those early chapters were things that anyone rightfully probably would have put in there they yeah. could have, they could have maybe made that made sense eventually if the story had continued he would have paid off those ideas and those seeds he had set up and yeah like with the uh, it is clear the point where he realized he had to wrap up because he introduces you know the ass soldier back into the story and we get the whole deal behind them and we get the whole fight for them and it's like okay if this series is going to go on longer I would expect they would have waited on this a lot longer and of course this would have been a much more drawn out thing reading these kind of characters but you know it's just uh, how it had to be 
be is, you know, he tried to wrap up at least one big seed that was set up in like the early chapters with that and kind of create a exciting enough climax for what ultimately is more of a stopping point than the inclusion. Yeah, well, it's like Yagi is, I, I have the feeling with series like this where they're setting in, in a world that's completely their own, you know, a world like ours, but different. You get the feeling that an author has put the effort in to have created a Bible of ideas and things they want to do where they can tease them and lead up to them. So yeah, it, it is unfortunate. A lot of the things that I would hold against the series aren't so much the fault of Yagi as, you know, editorial or worse teenagers not liking yeah. it you know like blame the kids which is unfair on the human being and i will say i think the series started off on probably an uphill foot because it had to Shaky. basically introduce a bunch of ideas about its world like we had a lot of exposition like front loaded in the first chapter to explain the idea of plasmero and i think that when you start off like that on a big expository note that is something that can lose people pretty quickly especially yeah. because it's a lot of the first chapter it's like 15 plus pages of like we it's just like exposition and then we get into the action and there's a there's a lot of action in that first chapter but i think there's also just a lot of explaining the concept that i think loses people when with promise neverland there wasn't a lot that needed to be explained we get to introduce to our characters we get to see pretty readily their situation and understand it without having to dwell on it too much and so we get into the characters and the setting much more quickly and much more with a connection and like with Red Spide where exposition kind of creates a distance between you and a reader when it goes on for too long because it feels like okay you're trying really hard to explain this concept to me in a way that I'm feeling detached emotionally from the situation that the characters are in which is what I really should be thinking about and focusing on. To a lesser extent, the thing you're talking about right now really reminds me of the reason why I eventually dropped off of something like, say, Samurai 8, you know? Yeah. Even for somebody like Kishimoto, who clearly had, like, so many ideas and clearly was very passionate about the world he was writing, if you spend too much time trying to explain the world and not enough time, like, trying to build the characters or, like, set up any, like, you know, actually cool action set pieces to draw new readers, then it's kind of all for naught. It is so funny that that's the series you mentioned, because I was about to say that something that really holds up well with this sort of having your own world thing is Naruto, because it, yeah, it tells you a good handful of things about the world in chapter one, but mostly it just expects you to understand, hey, Ninja Village, hidden from the rest of the world, they get missions and go to school, like, and then it's when you need to know more, it tells you more later. When you try and feed too much in too early, it can yeah. be a mess. Yeah. A Promised Neverland, of course, was great at this because the beauty of having massive twists where the world isn't what it seems is you get to learn stuff when the characters learn about it. So, like, you're getting those big chunks of lore because they had no idea. This is all a horrifying surprise to them. Yeah. And I guess it's a similar thing in this series where, like, Tatsu is completely unaware of about plasmier humans and stuff but the difference again here is like oh but then it leads to a bunch of exposition where you get the answers all right away where promised everland it was like a long burn of like slowly figuring out what the outside world was like and what the situation they're in really is yeah at, l at least until the series was far enough in that it just kind of shat it all over <laughs> you and you had to be like man yeah. do i still like this <laughs> yeah i think I, I think that's just the problem with something like this where like because it's so 
It's such a very complex, not only complex, it's batteries, but it, it is something that you have to kind of tell the people immediately, like, oh, by the way, here's how it all works. And I guess it was in- also in conjunction with the shriveled up dude reveal as well. So it's like, you have to immediately, here is like what the things are. Oh, by the way, you seven kids are special. Uh, and that's why all this stuff, oh, by the way, bye. And there, there you go. Oh, by the way, like you, you remind me of your father. What? Wait, what? Oh, we're not going to say Sorry, got it on by. Sorry, got it I'm about to <laughs> and then you kind of off screen his development is also kind of another problem where yeah. it's yeah. like you kind of don't really see like, okay, what does it take for him to use the lightning to enhance his own like physical body and stuff like that? What are like the, the problems with it? Like, I think that was kind of semi explored, but they didn't really get a chance to do it as far. Yeah, it takes a few chapters before we see that he can like deplete his energy and needs to recharge. And that's the stakes thing there is that he, he doesn't have unlimited energy. I genuinely would have loved more time with his like... I I guess six year training montage whatever you want to call it like I, I would have loved to like spend more time with that and I think if Yagi had wanted to explore that more I think that would have endeared us as readers to Tatsu even more I think that actually would have worked in this benefit oh yeah I mean how great would it have been if they revealed that he had like some sort of old master that taught him he had to electrocute himself <laughs> in a pool of water you know like, it, it would give us a character it would give us a flashback storyline and it would like flesh out everyone or just spend time in this headspace at least yeah like, there's so much stuff you can do if it had more time. Like, again, for all the crits, I had to give this system, uh, this series, the Shonen Jump system of axing things straight away because you've got to keep that circulation up. Like, sometimes it really stings because you just want to know what could yeah, happen. Yeah. Sure. Um, I think, yeah. No, you go ahead, Doc. No, I, I think it's just to add to add on as far as just like the idea of like this, especially with this kid as like our lead, it's he has to be this. He is the Shonen Jump protagonist, like very hot blooded, Genki, all that stuff. And I think that I understand, like, he has to be the leader for literally an entire race of people. <laughs> um, and to go against a fascist dictatorship is also kind of like he, he needs to have a personality and a charisma that they were telling me he was charismatic as opposed to showing mm. me like you yeah. have his moments of like being mm. cool and like looking with the sword and like where's the sword from who cares um and like showing off his lightning stuff like how does it work who cares like the visual aspect of it like it tells me they they want me to believe this kid and by midway through i was like okay fine i wasn't able to accept it but more like i guess tolerate is even the right word but it, i understand like okay if the narrative is going to continue on like this i have to learn to be okay with him being the leader and there was not enough for that to kind of show like why is he a good leader is it just because like he's the only asshole who's willing to stand up maybe but then and then you could probably even turn that into like literally any, anyone can overthrow your fascist dictators and stuff like that I guess he can probably put that but he's special because lightning <laughs> Um, in, in that sense, it kind of reminds me of going back to another Horikoshi series. It reminds me of the same problem that Omagadoki Zoo has. For as much as I love that series, don't get me wrong, but something I, I definitely picked up on when we talked about that series previously, because the series has to keep doing the same thing with its main character, Sheena, where he's supposed to be this like charismatic leader that like all of his friends love, but like they have to like constantly tell you that instead of like showing you that. Yeah, and also it it doesn't help that he's an asshole and you're introduced <laughs> to him like sticking like a character head up another character's ass and through their like, mouth why is he doing yeah i can only imagine people listening to this and not knowing anything about amagadoki zoo just being like what are you guys reading 
Well, you can listen to our episode on it. But yeah, I think Tox's problem is that, you know, he's just, his personality is just too stock shonen hero. It's like confident, boisterous, you know, and there's just not a lot of interesting layers vulnerability to him. I think that when we get That's to his interaction Alfred. with Alfred, yeah, Alfred, <laughs> I would agree with Max. And I, that was my thought too, is that Alfred would have been a great central protagonist. And he actually demonstrates leadership qualities as we see in the flashback with him like kind of you know advising all the siblings like hey you know we got to think about this we got to think about this you know he's playing the big brother type but yeah i think that tatsu really was at his best in that arc because you know he was being considerate of alfred's situation but then like he comes back with a big plan to help him out in the end and that's when i think you see more of like an example of like kind of a little more dynamic side to his character in a way that it's like we see him being able to just kind of interact with someone and then just understand their situation and then think thoughtfully about the best strategy to help them rather than like just go in just with a bold plan and just hope things work out like in prior chapters so I think that's when he was like starting to become a little more interesting and like become you know he's still very much the shonen archetype but then we kind of see a little more flavor to that rather than oh here's like kind of the baseline of like oh i'm gonna do a thing and it's gonna work out because i believe in it i don't know if we want to use this as like a transition maybe depending on how much you guys want to talk about this in particular because uh for those who don't know in volume two they include the original like pilot one shot that this came from um something i really wish they included from the one shot in particular because the one shot has like a pov character that kind of like hangs out with tatsu that can kind of like be sort of an observer to like all the stuff that's going on with him and the rest of the story like i think we could have used a character like that in the main series somebody for him in general to just you know play off of have interactions with to make him look more interesting than he actually is maybe sort of a komatsu type maybe that's like the sheer opposite of him yeah i mean if we had more of a long-term interaction between him and then like another character like yeah like you're saying someone to play off of that i think that would be fine i don't mean that character to be a perspective character like maybe make the professor that type of character yeah have more relationship between him and the professor i like the professor is like kind of this beleaguered tag along who's kind of being forced to do all these things so i do like the note also and like the object on the volume said oh actually he also believed in magnonia and that was like why he created the airship and this idea of like the cloud cover thing so there is actually like a connection between them in terms of a similar philosophy so i wish that they could have explored that more but like yeah you know they could have used him or they could have just used mono like it was established like mono and tatsu is reaching out to mono as a friend and they could have just had more interactions and mono's like temperament and personality was similar to that character in that one shot anyway so yeah i just feel like tatsu is the kind of character who as we've been saying like he's not that interesting on his own and i think if you like in the one shot if you gave him somebody to play off of i think he'd be a much more likable and interesting character yeah it's a good pairing to have the confident person be paired with someone who is like much more unsure of themselves but inspired by an example yeah so that's a that's a pretty tried and true dynamic Mm-hmm. I also want to go back to Maxi's thoughts on uh, on the art and the comic sequencing in particular, because um, something I kind of realized while reading through Red Sprite, and we're hopefully going to do an extra episode on the Patreon about Iron Knight. Stay tuned at the end of the show for more info on that. Um, So I haven't read Iron Knight, so maybe maybe my opinions will change after I read that. But right now, I kind of feel like 
Compared to other like canceled Shonen Jump series we talked about on the show, where sometimes I'll be like, oh man, I would love to see like another comic from from this person, from this creator or whatever. And I'm not saying I wouldn't like to see another comic from Yagi, but like a part of me feels like part of the reason I'm not as hot on Red Sprite as I used to be. And I think maybe a reason why so many people weren't taking to it, you know, when it was running. I kind of feel like Yagi's art, while it's like, I think it's like competent, like I think it gets the job done, it's serviceable. I don't think his art and his comics like really stand out is the thing. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I mean, it's it's solid, but I, yeah, I don't think like character design wise, it stands out compared to like what you would see from and what you would expect from a shonen manga. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that again, like as Maxi also mentioned, I think that a lot of the designs of the machine are like the blimps, they are ships that look really cool. Yeah. I think that look, and I think that they can create, as I mentioned before, I think they can create some really dynamic images. But yeah, I think in terms of just the base design, it just doesn't have that unique flair that really would stand out compared to anything else. Like at the time in the lineup, it is looks like, yeah, this is really solid art. But it just is lacking that genesis quoi. Yeah, like th- there's nothing about this comic where if I saw it out of context, or if he were to come out with like another comic and jump, maybe there's nothing about his style or the way he draws or his comics in general that make me think, oh, this is a Tomohiro Yagi comic. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, like, I'm not sure what have to tell for it's unique. Uh, in Iron Knight, he had some pr- pretty neat monster designs, yeah. like not not groundbreaking, but they certainly looked unique to Yagi, and I think that would go a long way. But otherwise, it's hard to say for sure. I wouldn't be opposed to seeing more from them. I'm not like champing at the bit. But then, like, say the uh, series that replaced this was Ole Galazzo by um, Takamasa Mue, who I wasn't particularly fussed about when they went away. I wasn't expecting anything upon their return. And then they came back drawing Akane Banashi, which is like the best series that started in Weekly Shonen Champion yeah. forever. Yeah. So, like, just because we're not expecting or anticipating anything more from them, doesn't mean they absolutely can't come back and blow us the hell away. I mean, absolutely. I mean, artists just improve over time, hopefully. So, yeah, I mean, I always am hoping for the best for creators. So yeah, I for sure. So I would like them to see get another chance. I'm hoping the best for most creators. For sure. Yeah, creators who do not have disgusting predilections. Yeah, cr- creators who aren't pedophiles, let's oh, say. <laughs> or, or just ones that are really shit. I don't want, want Naoyosugita to come back because he's literally never done a good comic in his life and he's never no. going <laughs> to. But, um, like, other ones can turn it around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would love it if Tomohiro Yagi in a few years came back with their own sort of Akane Banashi level quality of work, you know? I would love to see that. Yes, sometimes you just have to be an artist for a more focused writer. I, I think that would, like, being able to concentrate on just your art and the storytelling side rather than also having to do the plotting, it can be the thing that transforms some artists to the next level. That's how Takeshi Abata became good, you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Oh no! Are we are we getting to are we getting to the point of the show where we're running out of things to talk about? <laughs> no, no. I, I thought you were I thought you were leading something somewhere. Okay. Well, here's something I've got to ask all you about. Do you know about the Principality of Sealand? No. Yeah, I know the Principality of Zeon. <laughs> oh, that's also good. So Sealand is an unrecognized micronation off the shores of England that is literally just like a metal platform suspended above the water. Yeah, it's like a abandoned barge or whatever. 
Yeah, like uh, Hatalia have done jokes about how people yeah. don't recognise it as a nation, uh, but we don't just talk about that. You're reminding of that was... But the, the thing I think about there is I think the intricacies of what you can even consider a nation are really interesting. So having an airship that's going to be quite limited on space and quite limited on resources, like they only barely talk about how they need to think about things like having baths and toilets on there. Like, I would really have liked if they managed to fit in little chapters about infrastructure. I, I think there's a lot you can do with trying to make a nation out of an airship, you know? Like, yeah. Cause, cause can it? Can it work? Is it viable? Right. Can they build enough facilities in there so that it's like functional and self-sustaining? Yeah, that that would have been really interesting, Jace Bar. Yeah. And and you know what? Through good allyship, they get what Sealand never got. They got another nation to recognize them. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. is kind of a good ending. This series is a lot better if you think about the Principality of Sealand while reading it. <laughs> Take that away, yeah. I mean, speaking of Xeon, I, I kind of like the idea of, like, all these characters on this ship, and I felt like, oh, this could have been a... Because it reminded me of, like, Gundam of all things, of, like, oh, oh you yeah. have all these, like, little characters that could have, like, an episode or a chapter or two to kind of flesh them out, see what they're about. There's a lot of people on the ship. You could have done so many things, but, you know, hey. Yeah, that that sort of fine detail was, like, my favorite things about Gundam. Yeah, it is like them being on the airship would be like exploring the core group on the white base for a long period of time and like how they live together. How does does the airship run? Just like like a day in the mechanic's life. Yeah. You know, if they're like really an independent... I mean, it runs on the power that mono generates basically so yeah but yeah again they have to get i mean i guess we see them get resources or intel by just like kidnapping those two dudes in like the fourth chapter i guess so oh yeah maybe that's i guess that's how they go about it but yeah those poor guys it's funny you bring that up actually because i forgot to mention at the top of the show um so chapter four of red sprite ran in the same issue that kochikame ended which you can also tell because if you look at the top of the truck when those two guys are being kidnapped by the red sprite you can see a ryotsu unibrow on top of the truck oh okay yeah i was wondering where the where the unibrow was <laughs> so things you gotta watch out for i i love whenever these failed series turn up during these anniversaries though because like you had it back in 2006 it was kochikame's uh 30th anniversary yeah and so they did, like, little Ryo-san cameos all through those series as well. Yeah, it's just, it's just so interesting that the series was around when, like, something as big as Kochikame, like, finally ended after 40 years. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that was a thing they did for, like, all the series in that issue. Yeah, no, they did. Mm. I remember yeah. I made, like, a big compilation image of it for the thumbnail of that week. Oh, uh, shit. For, I, I think yeah. I forgot about that. I'll have to look at that again. Yeah. yeah unfortunately, I think the site moved hosting at some point, so we lost that image on oh, that's the, unfortunate. the post. But I have it somewhere, so I'll, I should dig it up again. You should re-upload it to the post, Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, yeah, it, it's just, it's just really interesting to think about, again, that, that, that's another reason why I wanted to incorporate more of these, like, general things about the environment of Jump, because it is really interesting to think about, like, where Jump was at the time, like, when these series were running. That's just interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Kind of going back to the art really quickly, because uh, honestly, uh, you know, we, we kind of already talked about like all the big moments that I really like art-wise. Like we talked about the the red sprite coming up from behind the the Excalibur and that big two-page spread. That That's legitimately one of my favorite like two-page spreads. And then the final two-page spread of Tatsu taking out Blackburn, that's, that's a great like final spread. I really like, I mean, in general, I think one thing I would have loved to see more 
from the series of it that kept going. And I think part of the reason I was really into it was because, oh man, I don't read a lot of manga that have like airship battles. Like I would love to see that kind of thing more personally. Um, so I, you know, for as brief as it was, I really did like the air battle between the Excalibur and the Red Sprite. And I really love the sequence where Tatsu is basically like, I don't know what you call it, flash stepping to bring it back to Bleach uh, onto the Excalibur and breaking in. I really, it's a very small moment, but I really love that page where he's like climbing down the arm of the Red Sprite and then like making his way down the Excalibur. You can like really feel the speed of that. And like, it's it's one of the few moments like I can like, can like clearly visualize in my mind, like how that would be animated. Like it just, it looks so good. Yeah, I think there are a lot of sequences here that, yeah, if this set ever getting animated, I think this would look really, really cool. Mm-hmm. Like, especially that the fight with Blackburn. They're big with, like, them going up into the airship, and then there's a lot of, like, falling, a lot of, like, trying to get him the dynamic. And, of course, like, the big mono thunder, and then, of course, like, him burning up. Like, that would have been cool to see if a series had, you know, in a different world, become successful. Oh, we totally could have had a um an Ashita no Joe ending where he like burns to white ash. Oh god. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I oh. would not be surprised if that would have been the direction it did. I like with the cryptic message that he gives Tatsu at the end, I'm like totally expecting that oh the kind of the tragedy of these characters is like most of them actually would like probably burn out by the time and to ash by the time of the end of the series. So they'll have succeeded in their mission, but they themselves probably ended up passing away in that process. Which is why I also kind of feel like in the three page epilogue we didn't really see the characters uh, who were, had like the big power powers like Tatsu we just saw like fall the captain and then uh, one of the other guys and then the doctor and then like a bunch of kids at the old orphanage they were that my thinking is that oh those are the kids of like you know the core group of seven there. yeah yeah same. and then they have passed away and like the magnonia and like their ship and their cause lives on but they themselves have kind of passed away at this point after accomplishing their goal and like the big final battle or whatever yeah so that would have been a pretty bittersweet ending if that's what they were going for but interesting glimpse into what direction they might have taken yeah, because uh, I remember I was looking up more stuff about the series for research, and, you know, I was looking on uh, manga updates, and I saw that, like, whoever was scanlating it at the time, for whatever reason, I guess, like, had a chapter 14.5 list, and I was like, wait, what? I didn't, I didn't read that. And I had finished the actual main series, and I hadn't, like, read through the rest of Volume 2, because I was gonna read the one-shot another time. I had no idea that there was just, like, a three-page epilogue at the very end of the volume. And I think I joked about it. It's basically like, it's literally, you know, what Maxi and I feel like a lot of people talk about with like the King Crimson effect, like in JoJo. It's it's basically three pages of that, which I just thought was interesting. Yeah, it's a, it's a flash forward. So we're skipping basically everything in between where we stopped and what would have been like the ending that they had in mind. Yeah. yeah. Something else really interesting I wanted to bring up about the art, because um, I also did something that I don't normally do for these because I don't know whether because I just didn't think of it or because I don't have access to some of these stuff. But like, I do have access to the whole like weekly Shonen Jump run of this like through Viz. So I thought mm, it'd be interesting to like go through some of Yagi's like author comments and stuff, which I think they pretty much have most of. I think they ended up like skipping one or two in the transition from Red Sprite going from a jump start to like a full Simulpub run, which is unfortunate, but they pretty much did like most of them. I, I didn't write down like which issue this was from. I really thought, and I'm not going to go over through all of them, but I just wanted to point out one in particular that really stood out to me where one week he said, uh, when I'm drawing clouds, they reflect how I'm doing inside. Not that anyone else can tell what they mean, though. 
So I just think that's really interesting that like if you go back through this series, like you can look at the clouds and be like, I wonder what Yagi was thinking that day, you know, like I, I wonder what feeling like this represents. I just thought that was kind of interesting. Otherwise, like a lot of his other comments are just him being like, I broke my iPad and I had to go fix it. And oh, I started drawing more digitally recently or whatever, just stuff like that, which to be fair, a lot of jump author comments are usually like mundane stuff like that. But I still thought they were interesting. Give me a quote. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, my back still hurts, like always. Yoshihiro Tagashi. Oh, mm-hmm. Well, you got to make things depressing now. <laughs> it was the only thing I could think of. <laughs> uh, I, I don't mean the joke about that, because that is genuinely really sad. Like, I think Joey, good friend of the show, Joey Weiser, I sometimes I always see their tweet come up where it's just like a collection of like Togashi's comments from like the last run of Hunter Hunter, and it just always depresses me. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, his more recent comments have somehow managed to be even more depressing. Yeah, it's terrible. Um, I mean, I guess on that note, I don't know if there's anything else we really want to say about the main series. If you guys just have any, like, just stray thoughts. I feel like I brought up, like, everything I really wanted to talk about. I do find it interesting that in a lot of, I guess, these alternate world type like industrial fantasy stories, they imagining kind of this fascist military government. Like it's clear, like they're drawing inspirations from like Nazi Germany in like the structure and like of Adenia, and then also like how it is like you know <laughs> invading and oppressing like all these neighboring nations. But also, I definitely got a sense in the series there was some commentary on like perhaps like. Uh, American military power here. Probably. I guess with David Atlas's character, he very much feels like the kind of caricature of like an American military leader that I would see like similarly be drawn upon for this kind of archetype in like say Promare would crave foresight. So I found that interesting and obviously like kind of the core of the series is this idea is like a conflict that starts over mining a fossil fuel as a resource. Like it's basically an alternate world in which rather than like crude oil and natural gas and stuff like that you know the fossil fuel is like literally the marrow in these bones like electricity derived from this marrow and so it imagines like kind of future in which like or imagines this world in which like this resource is so scarce that they are finding a way to literally harvest it from living people, which I think is like kind of, it doesn't have like a super nuanced take on that, but also it's kind of also touching upon the exploitation of both the natural world for resources, but also human beings as a resource in combining the two. And I thought that was kind of an interesting connection to make, even though I don't know the series necessarily does much more than it, other than you know, the basic and rightful tenet of like, oh, you know, oppression is bad, uh, exploitation of people is bad, and this fascist military government is bad. So, yeah, like, I just found that kind of interesting. It's like where, like, kind of the foundations of the conflict in the story come from. It's like this conflict over, again, fossil fuels as a resource and then connecting that to how human beings have often been exploited as a resource in terms of labor. And now in this case, literally also a resource for power by like literally their life force being drained from them. So 
Yeah, it's kind of an interesting connection to make for like a, a poor central conceit for the premise. But uh, yeah, I, I think it could have gone even farther with it, especially when you turn around and have the fact that there are Plasmero humans who are like working for the military, seemingly of their own free will. You have these ass soldiers who are literally reanimated from the corpses of the fallen, literally soldiers burning themselves into ash to resurrect and give power to these beings. So I think there could have been more exploration there about like how those characters see themselves as separate from the class of plasma humans that are being exploited. So I find like the conceit that the series built on I think that it could have just been explored in a much deeper way in terms of like we're seeing like kind of how this system of oppression is being perpetuated and who is in power and enforcing this because I mean clearly David Atlas himself is a plasmary human he like <laughs> very much like in Promare would pray foresight he is like oppressing his own kind and literally using it as a power source for his own ends and his for own political consolidation of power so I think that could have been interesting he's more like how he got to that position and like his mentality even though I feel like another weakness of the series that all the villains are like kind of the same flavor of just power hungry uh, classist fascist yeah pretty so much so it's like not really a lot of difference and nuance between them so yeah i think that's another weakness like the series if it continued needed to find like more interesting villains in terms of their psychology but yeah i just found like those stray things very interesting and things that i wish the series could have like explored in a deeper way no i, I agree those are all really interesting things that uh, I honestly didn't like think too much about but like reflecting on them I think those could be interesting like we brought it up earlier but like that whole thing about Blackburn gaining his power from literally like the ashes of dead soldiers like that that is the kind of thing you would see in like Full Metal Alchemist specifically yeah it really is like the sacrifice of people and souls how they power the homunculite is very it's much a similar thing I forgot to bring it up earlier but um honestly like thinking about it more because I, I think from the very beginning we have made like comparisons between this and Full Metal Alchemist but honestly I would say this is basically like a cross between like Full Metal Alchemist and like Castle in the Sky yeah I mean then so really much looking for an island in the sky too that is mythical some people don't think exists but also like in the author's notes said that oh it's like from the remains of like a demon that floated up in the sky yeah yeah but then there probably could have been a big reveal like oh it is also maybe like an abandoned kingdom of military miter military base or something like that so yeah that could have been another interesting aspect to explore but yeah it's also like poor Crow rosso because they fly <laughs> Sure, but it's, yeah, yeah, just another commentary and critique of just, like, military capitalism and environmental exploitation. Fascism. One of them should have been a pig, I'm telling you. <laughs> Rather be a pig than a fascist. They yeah. Yeah. Evergreen yeah. crop. I will say, I am glad that we live in a time now, because I remember when Maxi and I started doing these, you, they would not release these digitally even, uh, the volumes, I should say. And now we're at the point where we're getting these in volumes, like the volume releases of these, and like, you know, we get like little extras, like Lum, you just mentioned, like there are extra like pages in volume one that like give extra lore about Magonia and like Tatsu's sword and how that was like passed on from his dad and everything. And, you know, like that stuff is really interesting. And that he's like named after the sword too yeah like there's all these interesting like clear world building lore details that yagi had in mind that i guess they just did not have the chance to explore further in the story but it does make me appreciate these elements more as i can draw the connections in my mind between like what 
their intent was. If there's anything that you can say about Yagi, it's that he clearly put a lot of thought behind the world, no matter how well executed his like world building actually was in the end. You can tell he still put a lot of thought into this stuff, and I appreciate that. For sure. Yeah, he's like a D&D campaigner who's put all the effort <laughs> into the world, and it's just like, the, the, just... the players aren't quite doing their part, and he's like, no, I've got all this lore to tell you, and then they all decide they can't be bothered to meet up and play anymore. Mm. <laughs> and they all roll badly and end up all dying in the process. Mm. Absolutely. <laughs> You can say this series is a critical fail. Oh, I hate myself. Oh, also. burn. Got him. Oh, man. Okay, we should probably, like, we should probably end after that, actually. That's a pretty good way to end things, I think. Um, So, we should get into the final thoughts and, like, whether we recommend this to anybody. I'm just going to start off and say, I, I think I said it at the top, but, like, I definitely dislike this series more after reading it. Like, if I were to, like, rank this amongst, like, all the canceled stuff we talked about so far... As cold as I felt on Barrage by the end, as, like, neutral as I am on that, I think I honestly prefer Barrage over this. Like, I think, I still genuinely think Barrage, especially in terms of its emotional storytelling, as basic as, like, some of that was, and it could have been a little more nuanced, I still think there's a lot more there compared to in Red Sprite, because I think the lack of, like, you know, I guess nuanced character writing and, and a real emotional core, I think, really keep me from liking the series more than I want to, is the thing. So, like, I, honestly, I think... See, this is hard, and I know Lump's not going to agree with me, because we did cover Gakuhote, and there are a lot of things about that series that neither of us like, but I genuinely think Red Sprite is, like, my least favorite thing, my least favorite canceled jump series that we covered so far, because at least Gakuhote made me feel something is the thing. <laughs> I, I, Strange. I know that's going to sound harsh, but, like, genuinely, like, there are just so many things in Red Sprite that, like, I really want to like, but Yagi just didn't have the time to, like, execute them as well as he could have is the thing. And that's the thing that, like, really bums me out about the series most of all. When I went back to, like, check my rating on the series, I think I gave it, like, a 5 out of 10. And honestly, I think it actually lowered a score for me. I gave it a 4 out of 10, which is not something I normally do for a lot of series. I, I, I really like to think that, like, I really try to go out of my way to try to find, even in stuff I don't like, you know, stuff that, like, I'm at least more positive on. But for this, it's just, like... Again, I don't blame Yaki for how the series ended up because I, I think editorial was very impatient on this and I think it should have they should have given this more time. But clearly it just wasn't really resonating with readers and whether that's Yagi's fault or not, I don't know. I just suffice to say, like whatever rating I give it, I don't necessarily blame Yagi for it entirely. But still, I don't know. This series is ultimately kind of disappointing and I don't think I would really recommend it to anybody, quite honestly. But that's just me. Yeah, I mean, I definitely... I'm not harsh on the series like you or I might be the most positive out of everyone here because I went into this kind of apathetic to the idea of revisiting and I came out of it like enjoying myself. I was like, oh, you know, this was a f enjoyable, fun read. That's so funny because I was the complete opposite. Like I was actually pretty excited to come back to this and I came out more apathetic, which is kind of funny. But, I mean, Gakyohote was one where, in my memory, I remembered enjoying it a lot. And when I went to reread it, I was, like, horrified to find, oh, my God. Not only is it just not well-written in its base level, but it has all this gross, uncomfortable stuff that makes it actively unpleasant to read. This, I found just generally an enjoyable action-adventure comic, and I generally did find the character of Alfred, and then the princess uh, Beatrix, and, like, their internal conflicts very compelling, and I liked that entire, like, arc with Alfred in the country of Namion and that whole situation quite a bit, and I was just left 
left wanting, oh, you know, I would have continued to keep reading this. And that's kind of my metric for a canceled manga is like, yeah, I know that it's a canceled manga and that it did not get to tell its full story. But did it leave you wanting to be in a place of like, yeah, I would have continued to follow it on. I would have liked to see where it would have gone. And that's what the series kind of left off on a note for me. It was like, yeah, I would have continued to follow this. I would have been interested in where it goes next and it was winning me over. So, you know, I enjoyed it just fine. I think it's perfectly solid. Obviously, it's an unfinished series. So, you know, if you are not really interested in that, I wouldn't recommend it to you. But otherwise, I don't think it's like a terrible time investment. And I think there's enough enjoyable characters and enjoyable moments that I got a good amount out of it. So, yeah, I am fairly positive on the series overall. I think it's perfectly enjoyable. It obviously just needed more time to really flesh itself out and develop its ideas more, but I can't hold that against it when some of the reasons why it got cut short are obviously factors that the author had no control over what would be competitive time for John. But, yeah, overall, I thought it was a perfectly enjoyable read. Okay. Um, Dr. Maxi. Maxi. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I would not recommend this series. I think there are definitely interesting things to say about it, and a lot of things you can speculate as to what could have been are very interesting. But I, technically, you can do that without ever even have read... You could just see the cover of something and the title of something and go and say, I will make up what this is about. Mm-hmm. The story you make up in your mind, yeah. Exactly, you can achieve the same without the experience and it saves a lot of time. Uh, what I'd probably do is recommend something that we have previously covered here on the Manga Mavericks Cancelled Weekly Show and Drop Extravaganzas, <laughs> which is Stealth Symphony, yeah, yeah. a series that does the building a unique world thing a lot better. It still failed, so it had a lot, it has a lot of problems, don't get yeah. me wrong, but it has a carefully built world, it explains itself pretty well, it builds intrigue, and it manages, crucially, to deliver on it before it dies. So I, I think, like, it's a good alternative if you want to believe me that this is a series that's not worth reading. Otherwise, you know, read it. It's in the Shonen Jump for It's one ninety nine a month. Just 14 chapters. You can read it in one evening. I did. Again, it's not a big kind of investment, so. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, Stealth Symphony, still probably my favorite cancelled series. That or Cross Manage. It's honestly a toss-up between the two. Mine's still Kill Kosan, because I'll never <laughs> let go. Never <laughs> let go. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, Stealth Symphony is so good that I'm genuinely thinking about maybe talking about it more on the Patreon if we have the time. But that's we, – we could, we could talk about that more often. Like. <laughs> we should revisit it a third time. <laughs> uh, Doc, do you want to give your final thoughts on whether you'd feel comfortable recommending Red Sprite? Um, I wouldn't recommend it because I'm not an asshole. <laughs> uh, so – no, uh, I, when I say I re- wouldn't recommend, I would not tell people to go out and go read it. Mm. But if people come to me and saying, hey, is this okay? I will tell them, yeah, it's all right. Yeah. Um, I think that's how I feel about the series. It, most of it, I would say I still come out positive by, by the end of okay. it. In the end of it, I still come out positive. I still feel like, yes, we could fantasy book this stuff if you wanted to. If you want to be a dick about it, yeah, <laughs> sure. Uh but like, I I think it's just like by the end of it, I was like, okay, if this could have gone better, sure. But what I got right now is like, okay, yeah, it's something that you can pick up and put down pretty quickly. It's like, yeah, in a weekend you can read it pretty fast, and, and it goes, it, it actually flows pretty, yeah. like, fairly well. Yeah, so that's, fair. that's why I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. 
I wouldn't pay money for this. Get it off the vaults. Yeah, I will say that there's, besides, like, getting the extra little details about, kind of, the world from the Octor and then, like, the one-shot, the chapters are the same localization as you'll get in just the vault. So, like, they don't redo the sound effects or anything. So, you're, you're not missing out on too much if you just read it through the vault. You get the color pages in the vault as well. So, it's actually, in some ways, got its own bonus. Yeah, yes. it's, it's a little <laughs> so, bit better. Yeah. Oh, see, I didn't know. But you wouldn't know what those other, vault. what the name of those other four kids are, <laughs> unless you actually picked up the volume. But it like, almost doesn't matter uh, because it's already canceled. Uh, but I, I, I would still say if you came in to ask me, like, hey, is there other stuff you would want to? Would you rather read? Um, yeah, I can think of like a list of a bunch of stuff, but like I think this is one of those things where if you discover this on your own, uh, I would say don't feel afraid after the first chapter. Uh, you can keep going, uh, but it's not going to light the world on fire. It's not going to be. I, I see this as like a here's a series that lasted as long as it probably should have in its own case. It was never meant to be the world champ of manga. It, it was probably gonna. I don't know have a couple squash matches on ECW <laughs> at most. The Colin Delaney of manga. Um, <laughs> that's funny to leave maybe me and Maxi. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it that's kind of all I could feel about Red Sprite. I still like it. In the end, I still like it. Like, I just, like, I would not put this on people to seek out. If you run into it, cool. That's all I could really say. No, I, yeah. I feel the same Are way. Are yeah. priority? Mm-hmm. Um, so pr- pretty much your thoughts hadn't really, like, changed much, I'm assuming. Uh, no. I think I was positive at the time, and I'm still positive about it now. I was like, oh, yeah, like, I would have loved to see more of it, but there isn't any more, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's fair. I agree. But, you know, despite how I feel about Red Sprite and how I think, unfortunately, how disappointing it ended up being because it got canceled too early, I still enjoyed talking about it. So there's that. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I thought we got a good discussion. We got a surprising amount of conversation on it. Like, you know, for, for, for yeah. all the blue in the intro. No, we got, we got a can lot you to imagine, say. Can you imagine if we if you brought me on for something I actually liked? <laughs> <laughs> Is this really the first time that's happened? That can't be. No, I mean, technically, the same say stuff we did on your Patreon. Was, then yeah. there was the, we had Doctor on for our first By Hero Academia episode. Yeah. Oh, that was years ago. I don't remember what I said. I can't wait to revisit My Hero Academia. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I guess not that you didn't like My Hero Academia, but we'll we'll have something on that like we know you like eventually, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll do we'll do an episode on Rat Man. Wow. <laughs> sure, let's go with that one. Okay, uh, yeah, let's let's talk about not common writer. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, but no, um, as always, I really love doing, again, what I like to call jump stop podcasts. And, um, you know, these canceled series, even if I don't end up liking them very much, I think are just so endlessly interesting to talk about. And uh, I really want to thank, uh, you know, not just Maxi for always coming on to talk with us, but Doc, especially for coming on. And yeah, this was this was a good conversation. And thank you guys for joining us. Thank you for having me on. Oh, anytime. I'm, I'm always super glad for these ones where, like, I'm in the rare position of being... I say rare. You keep having me on for ones I don't like. Have some, especially this like. year. But I, I, I really like it when we have people on who actually at least kind of like the thing because it tempers my bullshit, frankly. <laughs> so, so it's been a great time. Uh, but yeah, I guess until the next time we can have you two on, why don't you guys go ahead and uh, let everyone know where they can find your stuff. Doc, my good friend, you can go first if you want. Uh, well, you can find me over on the Asbacker's Anime Podcast over at SSAAPodcast.com. Uh, I run a ton of shows, uh, because I'm an idiot. 
but uh, they're all under our network over at ssaanetwork.com, which is our Patreon. Uh, but yeah, you can follow Just a Gintama Podcast over at gintamapodcast.com, which is a, it's a Gintama podcast. One Podcast Prevails, which is a Detective Conan podcast uh, where we go through the manga case by case, uh, volume 27 as of this recording. Uh, so go check it out over at onepodcastprevails.com. Uh, and yeah, I think that's, I have a bunch of other shows that have been discontinued and or stopped in the moment, but, uh, you can probably look up that on our network, on our Patreon, all, like, pretty much everything that we release now is gonna, it shows up on there before it hits, like, our main feeds of all the respective shows, but, uh, yeah, go check that out, go check, I, 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 another thing, go, I, I, I'm sure that these guys have promoted enough times already, but go check, I, I strong recommend, if you, if you're listening to this and you haven't checked out the Manga Mavericks Patreon already, go check out that Saint Seiya podcast I did with Colton all those, all those like, uh, all those whiles ago that was a hell of a hell of a lot of fun so strong recommendation there yeah patreon.com slash manga mavericks at the five dollar tier doc and i literally went through the entirety of that original saint seiya manga from masabi kurumbada that's probably like one of my favorite things i've ever done quite honestly because like saint seiya as someone who has now read Saint Seiya, I could tell you there is there's definitely a feeling, a difference in feeling from before Saint Seiya to after Saint Seiya. It was just so much fun to read, and I hope eventually we can have Doc on for another read through when we can find the time. And it also something Doc likes. That's important. <laughs> Not that you didn't like Saint Seiya, but still, it was just so much fun. And if, if you haven't listened to the Magavars Book Club in general, please go listen to that. I'm having a lot of fun doing that on the Patreon, but we can plug more Patreon stuff at the end. Um, also, we'll leave links in the show notes for the Ask Backwards Anime Podcast Patreon as well. We mentioned at the top of the show, part of the reason I had Doc on here to talk about Red Sprite was because you had read it originally a few years ago through your Jumping Through 2017 podcast miniseries where you kind of went through a lot of jump stuff going on at the time that you were kind of catching up on. It, it might be a little dated at this point. I don't know, but like... Probably very dated. <laughs> I, I still had a lot of fun listening to that because I think that was like one of the first things you did for your Patreon back then. And uh, I had a lot of fun yeah. listening to that. And we'll, we'll we'll leave a link to that and just, just your Patreon in general because, uh, you know, if, if you like listening to me on Manga Mavericks, you'll like listening to me on all of Doc's stuff because I'm pretty much a part of everything at this point <laughs> a little bit of everything at this point now yeah um so definitely go listen to doc and i on all of our stuff at the ass backwards enemy podcasting network uh but maxi why don't you go ahead and plug your stuff uh yeah absolutely you can find me on twitter at maxi the b i mostly just talk uh, about manga on there because it's all i've known since i was 14 sometimes i also talk about wrestling because every 10 years i come back to it and have a good time uh other than that i've had recent appearances on other podcasts uh, including an upcoming one for Duckface Diaries, where we go through another cancelled Shonen Jump manga, Superdog Reliental. It's yes. a cancelled Jump manga. It's kind of my thing. Uh, and I was recently on Shonen Flopcast to talk uh, about Naoya Sagita's Zan, another cancelled week Shonen Jump series. And I now also help them out with some research because I do things like memorize when things ran and who they were by and who their assistants are because my brain is a mess. <laughs> uh, other than that, I own the website friendshipeffortvictory.com it's a great url i don't really do anything with it but old episodes of my old podcast that's the reason why most people have gotten to know me personally like are on there and listenable except for the one about buso Rankin. we don't talk about that <laughs> and uh, i am working on some stuff whether it comes out or not is another matter but i do have this list i made about the best series from every year that weekly shun jump has Ooh, been around nice. i just can't work out what to do with it <laughs> Oh, I'm so uh, to that. hopefully I'll make something with that because 
really, I've got some really factuous things here just to go and boil some piss, and I want to go and put it out in the world to see what people say. <laughs> oh, nice. Well, hopefully, whatever you end up doing with that, I, I can't wait to check it out. So For sure. Did you know I've read at least one series from, like, at least one chapter of one series from every year that this fucking magazine's been around? That's really cool. With you, I could believe it. <laughs> yeah. I have wasted my life. <laughs> no. Life well spent. <laughs> uh. Oh, boy. Um, But yeah, no, once again, thank you guys so much for coming on this episode. And uh, I guess until the next time we can have you guys on, Lum, I think we should go into community shoutouts. Yeah, we'll follow the red lightning into the sky, searching for the next thing that sparks our interest. It's time to get on the SS Manga Mavericks and ship out. Thanks once again to our good friend, Maxi Bernard, as well as our other good friend, Doctor, uh, for coming on to talk about Red Sprite with us. Like Lum mentioned, despite the differences of opinion, we still had a great discussion. I really enjoyed talking about the series. And hey, you know what? You can look forward to some not necessarily extra discussion on Red Sprite like we did with Gakuhote, but hopefully soon after this episode comes out over at patreon.com slash manga mavericks, we will have a bonus episode of the podcast once again with our good friend Maxi to talk about Tomohiro Yagi's first Shonen Jump series with Iron Knight. That's right. We dedicated an entire extra episode to talk about Yagi's first debut series, Iron Knight. It was a lot of fun talking about that series. I kind of figured since we were going to talk about Red Sprite, I figured it would make sense to talk about Yagi's first series. And uh, yeah, it's basically just, think of it as just like an extra full episode of the podcast that you can listen to over at the Patreon at the $5 tier. Uh, So yeah, hopefully if it's not out by the time you're listening to this, it should be out very, very soon. And yeah, I can't wait for you guys to listen to it. Uh, I had a lot of fun recording that, and I I also had a lot of fun reading Iron Knight. Yeah, that was also a really interesting read, and yeah, it was cool to talk about it compared to two, and yeah, I, I just have appreciated getting this look at Tomohiro Yaki's pair of series, mm-hmm. and it definitely makes me interested in seeing them come back in the future. Yeah, one day hopefully he'll come back. Um, but yes, uh, once again, that'll be up on our Patreon at patreon.com slash So if it's not up yet when you're listening to this, please look forward to it. It will be up soon. But until then, before we end the show, uh, Lum, I think you have some community shout outs you want to give us. Yeah. So nothing too directly related, but, you know, speaking about a series where people are uh, exploited for their labor. You know, well, we can talk about the animations. We can talk about how disposable, perhaps, Crunchyroll uh, is treating its voice actors. Yeah. And uh, the person here that from is the person who played the protagonist of one of the most popular series and was dropped because they refused to work with SAG-AFTRA on, you know, making uh, an amiable contract. Even just, like, have a meeting, just a meeting to... Do dubs union and Calvin Carly will not work, you know, non-union dubs. And so Crunchyroll recast him in Mob and recast a lot of other people. And uh, he gave an interview with the Kytoon Cypher to outline like kind of ha- what the situation was. Like when him and the rest of the cast first started having like discussions about like trying to convince you know, originally the WC they thought that would uh, be doing the dub to work union, and then Crunchyroll is doing it in house, and then trying to figure out like what the strategy was to like convince him to work union, or at least again to get to the table, and so why Kyle like did what he did, why he thinks that 
this approach is probably not going to work again if it didn't work now. Uh, just the state of things in general in terms of non-union dubbing in Texas versus union dubbing in LA, how the different locales of the dubbing industry are working and operating, where he sees the future going. So I thought it was a very thoughtful, informative interview. They gave a good behind the scenes in terms of what this whole situation is, timeline-wise. I think it's a very informative listen to just find out more about what's going on and more about how to potentially help. Now, moving on from that uh, to just more, like, related things that I enjoyed recently. MacWiz has been doing this project for a few years now where she's been watching through different, like, shonen anime movies, like, franchise anime movies, in preparation for doing, like, this big project where she's going to basically review these movies and how they work just as a whole, and then perhaps go review them individually. So in preparation for that, she did this big tier list stream recently, where she ranked a lot of the movies she had seen. All in all, it's gonna be, like, 80 movies, and she ranked (laughs) about, like, 70-ish that she's seen so far so I just enjoyed hearing like her thoughts on what she enjoyed about the movies and about the movies that she didn't enjoy very much some movies perhaps I felt she was harsh on some though I definitely agreed with like I'm glad that uh, we're all in agreement last mission is just the worst <laughs> on her last mission so it was a very fun stream fun to hear her thoughts on these movies ahead of the video that she's making and yeah I really enjoyed it other videos I enjoyed recently included one from the Canapa effect where we talked about a personal favorite game of mine from the past you know speaking of like kind of steampunky things Pokemon Coliseum we talked about the studio behind the game and what like made their approach to the Pokemon universe stand out as like unique and interesting because they could diverge from Game Freak's vision and genius already and you know what that made in terms of like creating this really unique world uh, separate from the main Pokemon universe world and why that's uh, so fun to have in this franchise to, to just have like games with different tones games that can experiment that can deviate from the usual and just be something different from the type of games that Game Freak would make and I really appreciated Coliseum and Gale of Darkness when I was in so I really enjoyed this like very nice positive look back on what made that game really fun and fresh and novel for its time and obviously there are probably some pacing things with the gameplay that i think a lot of people can agree with makes the the actual gameplay suffer but in terms of overall experience yeah i'm glad to see him look back and highly recommend it and I also agree with his kind of overall ending message that like, yeah, Nintendo, please put these games on the Switch because we uh, definitely would enjoy a chance to revisit them. And then to close out, you know, it's horror time spooky season and a horror anime I'm really enjoying is the latest Tanami original Housing Complex C. Kuro over at Tanami People did a really great review of the first episode where... She went into kind of the setup and the vibes that it's given off in terms of how it's introducing us to the characters, what she likes about like the music, just how the entire thing is presented. And 
in a latest episode of the Tonight Fable podcast. The crew as a whole did a good job just discussing their thoughts on the first episode and where they think the mystery is leading, uh, the pacing of the show, and potential misdirects tying into the team of Optical Illusion. So yeah, really been enjoying the show. I'm enjoying hearing thoughts on the show. They also talk in the latest episode of the TFP podcast about the whole situation where Warner Brothers has written off, you know, the previous three Tanami originals, Vena, uh, Lotus, and Shenmue. So I talk about that situation, what that could mean for future originals in the future, what could potentially be done to kind of rescue, preserve those shows. So good conversation on that situation as well. And that will do it for the shoutouts I'll want to mention on this episode. Uh, obligatory shoutout, of course, to the Shonen Flop episode on Red Sprite. It's been a long time since I listened to that one. But obviously they do a good job. So if you want another take on Red Sprite, make sure to listen to theirs as well. But overall, that's what we have to recommend for you to check out until the next time and until the next time we'll let you know where you can find us for more things to check out and look out for we should also mention that i I think they also did an episode on iron knight as well yeah so they did both of yagi's canceled series so check those out for sure but yes until then uh that's gonna be about it for this episode and once again thank you guys so much for listening to this episode we really hope you enjoyed it and yeah i guess until the next episode uh we're just gonna let you guys know where you can uh find us and uh, all of our stuff starting with my good friend lum where can the good people find you you can find me at Lum Ramayasha on Trainers, Yum Ramayasha on a variety of places like Animation Revelation, Annie List, and Letterboxd. Wherever there's a Lum Ramayasha, that's where you can find me. You also can read my reviews and other writing on MangaRares.com. We have a lot of books coming to us, a lot of reviews planned to go out. Look forward to more on there. That's also where you can find the other podcast I do, Lum Squad, the Yurzi Yatsura Focus Podcast, where we discuss the wonderful and wacky world of Runkura Kashi's classic sci-fi rom-com, Yurisei Yatsura, and we have a lot to talk about with Yurisei Yatsura these days, with the manga releases still coming from Viz Media, with the movies available on streaming and on Blu-ray, and of course, the new reboot anime that is currently streaming on High Dive that we are so excited to talk about, and there's just so much going on news-wise in the world of Yurisei Yatsura right now, so much to talk about and cover, and we're definitely excited to celebrate it, dig more into it, to just share our love for this iconic, beloved classic. And if you want to join us in putting weird and weird together, make things even weirder and talking about it, you can find us on Twitter at Lone Squad. You can search for our channel, Lump Squad. Just search for it in the channel bar. And of course, we're on every podcast platform you can think of. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Anchor. We also cross-post episodes in the Manga Mavericks feed and post episodes early, sometimes quite a bit in advance early on the Manga Mavericks Patreon. And if you enjoy the art I make, the thumbnails I draw for our podcasts, or the illustrations and animations I make in general, you can find that stuff on my Instagram, at SidArtWorks. 
All right, but as for me, I'm Colty. You could find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I also host and produce a lot of my own other podcasts outside of Manga Mavericks that you can find links to over at my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Over there, if you click on the podcast page, uh, you can find links to literally everything I've ever done, uh, including past projects that I'm not currently doing anymore, as well as a bunch of guest spots I've had on other shows. So basically, if you want to listen to me on literally anything else and you like hearing my voice, I guess, uh, you can listen to all my stuff and find links to all my stuff over at my personal blog, once again, at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Uh, but as for Manga Mavericks, uh, you can find every episode over at our website at mangamavericks.com. That's where we post every episode first, unless you're a patron of ours at patreon.com slash mavericks where at the $2 tier, you will have the chance to listen to select episodes of the podcast before we put them up on our main feed. Basically, if we happen to have an episode edited before it's supposed to go out on our main feed, we'll put it up on our Patreon first for patrons to listen to before anyone else. But admittedly, you know, that also depends on our schedules and what we have done at any given time. So really, if you want more reliable content, admittedly, you really should sign up for our $5 tier where we post a new bonus podcast at the end of every month. I mentioned earlier that uh, you can look forward to an episode with us and Maxi covering Tomohiro Yagi's previous series, Iron Knight. But if you want more discussion on more Cancel Show to Jump manga right now, uh, I mean, first off, listen to our Gakuhote episode. Don't read Gakuhote. Just listen to our episode on it. Uh, another great episode we did earlier in the year about another Cancel Show to Jump manga. So we did an episode on that. And then we also basically kind of did a part two to that episode that you can listen to on our Patreon, uh, where we had Maxi on to to talk about not only their thoughts on Gakuhote, but also the original Gakuhote prototype one-shot done entirely by Nobuaki Inoki without the help of Takashi Obata, basically that he did before the main series. And once again, if you have listened to our Gakuhote discussion and you want to hear us talk about it more for some reason, we basically recorded even more about Gakuhote once again over at our Patreon at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. You can listen to that and so many other great bonus episodes that we've done over the years at the $5 tier. And generally, when you sign up for our Patreon, it's really the best way for you guys to support us and everything that we do here. Because really, everything we make on our Patreon mostly goes back to keeping the website up and keeping the podcast up. Uh, so basically, anything you give us helps. And we really appreciate any patronage you are willing to give us. Once again, that's at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. And I guess as for everything else, as far as where you can find us, you can follow us on Twitter at manga underscore mavericks or on tumblr at mangamavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast subscribe to our youtube channel at youtube.com slash manga mavericks where we post different excerpts of the podcast including some exclusive content every once in a while again youtube.com slash manga mavericks please subscribe to us email us anything at mangamavericks at gmail.com. What are your thoughts on Red Sprite and any of uh, Tomohiro Yagi's works? Uh, are you reading anything right now that uh, maybe you want us to talk about on the show? Uh, email us anything about manga or the podcast, and we'll read it on the show because we love getting emails from you guys. Uh, once again, that's at mangamavericks at gmail.com. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, or basically wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on so many different platforms at this point, uh, but especially on you know platforms like Apple Podcasts and Spotify basically wherever you can do this kind of thing if you leave us a rating and a review it really helps the visibility of our show and just in general we love getting feedback from you guys because uh you know whether it be positive or negative uh we want to use that feedback to make the show as good as possible uh but that's gonna be about it for this episode i think and uh yeah i guess until next time this has been episode 218 of the manga mavericks podcast and we'll see you guys next time for episode 219 bye guys sayonara sayonara